attention, attention all personnel. It's MASHCAST. Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly. And joining us this week in the VIP tent is Major Michelle Huber. Hello, Michelle. Hello. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So uh, the episode we're here to talk about is, of course, from Season 3, Episode 13, Mad Dogs and Servicemen. The original air date was December 10th, 1974. But uh, before we get to the show, uh, Michelle, since this is your first time on the show, I have to ask you, like, how did you become a fan of of MASH? Okay, that's kind of a long and awkward story. Ah, We're here Um, for both of those things. uh, I I don't remember. I kind of feel like mash has always been in my life i don't remember like the first time i saw it i do know that my parents are younger i'm 27 they're in their mid 40s so uh i did not grow up watching mash with my mom and stepdad i grew up with mash as something that i watched with my grandparents and uh i grew up watching watching it with them and it's kind of always been in my life and there's this weird history I have with it because I'm on the autistic spectrum but not really defined anyway I get obsessed with things like (laughs) a lot and usually my obsession the level intensity of my obsession goes with how I'm doing like mentally like well Usually correlates to my mental well-being. So a lot of times it's so if my – usually you can tell if I'm not doing so well, if my obsession is like really, really, really (laughs) strong. And uh, this is a funny story actually. I was thinking about this last night. Um, I was – when I was in my – in high school, my first year year of high school, uh, I was like not adjusting well to new school, new people, new – like relationship dynamic so i was like really obsessed with mash and it got to the point where my history teacher my american history teacher he gave me a moratorium he called it on mash because i would reference it every day in class whoa but not only would i reference it but uh the way my memory the way my brain works because it doesn't exactly work the same way other brains do is when i hear when i learn something i can I uh, attach it to something that I've heard before. So like Hawkeye can, will make a joke and then I'll learn about something and I'll get the reference and then forever I'll remember that one thing because I remembered it from MASH. Gotcha. And so okay. when I was in that history class, it wasn't just that I was referencing MASH. I was referencing MASH because he was teaching things that I remembered from MASH and then it actually made me, like, one of the smartest kids in class, but also not very good at being the smartest kid in class, I guess you could say. <laughs> other, other kids love that. <laughs> other well, kids love it. I was in special ed, too, so I think I got away with way more than I would have. Okay. I, I have to ask you, you said you're, you're 27, which means you've been, you're younger. The show has been off the air longer than you've been alive. Uh, like, w- when you would make these references in class, did anyone understand what you were talking about? A lot of um, kids did because, you know, uh, they did have parents who were not my, like my parents and were actually older. Mm-hmm. So they may have had... Uh, exposure to it through them like they would know mash is something it's everywhere pretty much like if it's on it's somewhere it's on tv somewhere right yes i people would know what it 
I was talking about, they might, like, think that's a stupid thing. Because like, I've, all my life, I've struggled with, oh, that's an old people show, or <laughs> you're too young to, like, why, why do you care about that? And I'm somebody that, if the media is good, I don't care what or when it came out. So I've never been ab- one. For- what was it about the show that appealed to you? Because it is, I mean, aside of it just being very funny, and I still think it's obviously very good, but like, what was it about the show that appealed to you at such a young age? Because I mean, all the references were, were so out of date, and yet obviously it was something you hooked into. Uh, my brain, I think, I, I don't know if it's I like older things or because I do like new things too. But mm-hmm. sort of, I I really can't say. There's so many things now. I'm like, why did I like this, or why did I get <laughs> into this? Because you know, what's funny is that I like Mash. I never watched start an episode of Star Trek until I was 22. Okay. So it's just kind of weird how that goes. And um, actually, there was something I wanted to mention because I think it's personally funny. So Mash ended on February 28th, 1983. Right. I was born on February 27th, 1993. Okay. So if I had been born just one day later, I would have been born <laughs> on the tenth tenth anniversary of Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. So <laughs> your your mom just couldn't wait. She just <laughs> just had to get you out of there. So okay. Your your history teacher. I mean, he obviously knew what Mash was, and he. I guess he. But you said he gave him moratorium money. He finally got like, all right, enough with the references. I actually he actually mentioned this like a few years later. He said he said he. Because uh, I would go and talk, like, venture into his room in passing time and, like, just to say hi or whatever. Because he was a really good teacher. When it came to uh, actually teaching the the Korean War, he actually said, we're going to uh, cover the Korean War tomorrow and Michelle's going to teach. <laughs> so I, he gave me, like, literally my home. He said, you, you don't have to do homework. I want you to prepare. So I actually stood up and taught uh, the Korean War. And he pretty much had a list in front of him, and if I, if there was anything I missed that he wanted to cover, he was going to come back and cover it after I was done. But it, I didn't miss anything. Oh, that's fantastic! So, that's great. <laughs> I knew. So I know that Mash has a really bad history with timeline. But yes, right. So I know that the Mash timeline and a relationship to the actual Korean War is really bad. But I had seen it so much that I could go. I really could talk up to lead up the Korean War, you know, why it happened, who was fighting in it, and why. I, I, I knew all that, and it didn't really have to go into detail, because um, we didn't have to go into detail, because, you know, it was just a freshman history class, like, right, it wasn't right. going to be that bad, but he actually taught, he told me uh, that in that few years later, that he said, I knew that you were really, really, really smart, because you could apply what I was teaching with MASH, and not just, and oh, Hawk, I mentioned this, but you understood why, like how it related. Right, the context of so it. So he told me, he said, he, he basically said I was one of the smartest kids he'd ever had in class. And um, he wanted me to know that because, you know, I was in special ed. And I was struggling a lot with other things like math. And, uh, you know, I credit that to him, just that one simple thing with him telling me that, oh, just because you're different. I guess is how I took it. Doesn't mean you're stupid or wrong. Right. You're very smart. And I really took that to heart and about two semesters away from getting my bachelor's in English. Oh, good for you. Well, I mean, for what it's worth, I I never had a teacher ever say that I was the smartest kid in the class. That never never happened to me. So good for you. That's great that you could apply MASH to what you were 
interested in and then helps you in school. That's fantastic. I'm sure that the creators of the show would just love to hear things like that. You know, that's back in the day. There wasn't social media back then. They didn't know these things. So that's uh, that's terrific. That's a really great story. So thank you for thank you for sharing that. So as I mentioned, uh, the episode we're here to talk about is Mad Dogs and Servicemen. It was written by Linda, Linda Bloodworth and Mary Kay Place and directed by the always dependable High Averback. So Hawkeye notices a small bite on Radar's hand and asks him where he got it. When Radar offhandedly mentions it was from a dog, Hawkeye gets concerned. It could be rabies. He tells Radar they need to find that dog. Meanwhile, he and Trapper are having trouble with Frank over a patient. There's a corporal named Travis who is paralyzed, even though he doesn't show any wounds. Frank wants him transferred, but Hawkeye and Trapper disobey him and have Travis taken in. Hawkeye calls Sidney Friedman for help, but Sidney says he's too busy to come. He then tells Hawkeye to try and deal with Travis on his own, but it won't be easy. He can't treat Travis like he's physically wounded, lest the psychological trauma he suffered become real. Travis thinks Hawkeye is cruel and protests that he wants to move but can't. Hawkeye doesn't reveal it's all an act, but confides to Trapper how sick it is it makes him having to act this way. He tries to get Travis to talk about what happened, but he can't or won't. Meanwhile, Henry and Radar try and find the dog that bit him. The trail reads them to Rosie's bar, where they ask Rosie for help. After they think they found the right dog, one that ended up as an older Korean couple's meal, they realize it's not the one they're looking for. With no time left, Henry tells Radar he needs to start getting rabies shots. Travis starts getting the initiative to crawl to the mess tent to get some food, which everyone takes as a good sign. But they realize he probably won't ever talk to Hawkeye, so Trapper volunteers. He talks with Travis about their mutual hometown of Boston, and eventually Travis is ready to talk about what happened. He saw a bunch of his buddies killed in front of him, and Travis got so petrified, and he did nothing. Feeling guilty that he couldn't defend his friends, his body has essentially shut down. Later, out on the compound, the dog that bit Radar wanders back into camp. Henry and Trapper chase it, eventually capturing the poor thing. They discover the dog isn't rabid, so Henley delivers the good news that Radar doesn't need any more shots. Back in Henry's office, Frank and Hot Lips insist that Travis be shipped out. But they all they are all shocked when Travis wanders in on his own two feet, smiling and cheerful. As Frank contemplates he was wrong again, Henry, Hawkeye, and Trapper take Travis to the mess tent for a cup of coffee. All right, so, uh, Michelle, why did you want to talk about this episode? Uh, when I think about this episode, I think of one of my favorite Margaret scenes, which is when Margaret is reading the letter to Radar in yes. post-op. You know, it's such a... It's such a sweet moment because, you know, in the early seasons, you don't see a lot of uh, Margaret being nice to no, Radar. No, it's a very sweet scene with her and Radar, yeah. And uh, it really felt like it wasn't Margaret and Radar. It felt like it was um, Loretta and Gary mm-hmm. in a way. That's really what stands out. And uh, this is um, not my favorite episode of the season, but it's definitely one I can enjoy. Except for uh, um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hawkeye storyline. Yeah, well, yeah. Which I is mean, kind of hard to watch. It is a little hard to watch. I, mean, I should mention that the Travis uh, is played by uh, uh, Michael O'Keefe, the character actor Michael O'Keefe. Most people around my age know him from films like The Great Santini, Caddyshack. He was a uh, semi-regular on Roseanne. He's been in films like Michael Clayton and The Pledge. And it's sort of funny is that he comes back for another episode of MASH in season six playing uh, – well, he's playing a different character, but it's a character with the same affliction. He plays another – he plays another soldier 
uh, his stuff, uh, suffering from paralysis. So uh, I don't know whether they just thought he was the right guy. He could just pull this off. Oh, he pulled it off in third season. Let's have him do it in the sixth season. But it's very strange that he comes back playing a, a, a uh, soldier suffering from the same problem. Except in that, in that episode, it's more about Sidney Friedman. But, uh, yeah, he would come back and, and play eventually a bit of the same part in, in season six. And it is un- it is unpleasant to watch Hawkeye be so mean to this poor kid and Hawkeye having to play soldier. Hawkeye is not comfortable being a soldier. At one point he even tells, he comes over to, to Travis and he says something and Travis ignores him. And he says something like, you know, I'm a captain and I expect you to respond when I talk to you, Lieutenant or uh, uh, private. And it's like, he's really pulling the military card, which as we all know, Hawkeye is very uncomfortable doing. And it is sort of funny to me that he didn't clue in, uh, like Margaret or anyone else on his plan because everyone else is talking about how mean he's being. I mean, maybe they were afraid that uh, the secret would get out, but it seems sort of strange that he keeps it secret. And basically it's only Henry and Trapper that know what the plan is. Uh, but it is, un- it is, as you say, uncomfortable to watch him being so nasty to, to Travis. And I, maybe that's why they went with a slightly sillier B plot, which is the whole thing with, Radar getting bit by the dog. I mean, getting rabies is not silly, but it's it overall is kind of a, a bunch of silly scenes where Radar and Henry, Radar and Henry are going and looking for the dog, and then there's the dog chase. So it's kind of a goofy slapsticky thing. Meanwhile, you've got this a plot. Which- Real quick, if I may jump the timeline, you know the episode T and empathy mm-hmm. when the British captain who retreats his wounded men in post op. Like they're gonna, like they're gonna go right back to fighting. Right, he and calls them lazy. Drives. He's like, "Come okay. on, what are you guys gonna get up?" Yeah, I mean, he's right. He's he's giving them tough love in that episode. And yeah, it's the same thing because that to me felt like what Hawkeye is doing mm-hmm. in this episode. He's treating him like there's nothing wrong with him, so he'll be better. Which because uh, I really liked episode and empathy as I was watching this. It's like that's basically what uh, Bernard Fox was doing, and it seemed mean to Hawkeye in that episode. It seemed mean, and uh, I. I I guess that's the fun of um, hindsight. Is that well, I noticed that, and uh, yeah, it is really hard to watch. And um, I wonder, I'm wondering if in the writers' room, uh, B plot of Radar's um, dog was they just wanted to put it in somewhere, but they didn't know where, and they just decided to pair it with this storyline. Or if I wonder if this episode just came together naturally. And they would say, well, well, we have this really dark plot, so we need something that's kind of more funny. Right. As I mentioned, this was written by Linda Bloodworth and Mary Kay Place, who were not staff writers. They were freelance writers. And so uh, as far as I understand how TV production is, is done, they probably had some these two ideas of like, oh, well, you know, there's one where Radar gets bit by a dog and they have to they're worried about rabies because that's a big thing in Korea. And then there's this other one. And they're like, oh, we could piece that together and get a get a show out of it. You can actually, you know, and this this format would actually be replicated more heavily in later seasons of MASH and the, the, in the shows around season seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10, 11, the, sh- the shows would be much more heavy a B plot. And, uh, in the early seasons, they didn't do as much of that here. They really are. It's, these two stories really have no connection to one another, uh, at all. They don't overlap at all. Um, I, it's sort of funny, the opening sequence on the bus where, uh, Frank refers to uh, Travis as having shell shock and Trapper is offended by that because he says, you know, come on, Frank, that's right out of World War One. Nobody thinks shell shock anymore. 
And there's obvious, uh, for those of you who remember him, there was a great routine by George Carlin, the comedian, talking about how maybe we should have just kept calling it shell shock because that was a better term for what people went through because the, the, the word has a significance to it and has a, has a hard sound to it as opposed to post-traumatic stress, dis, uh, stress disorder, which is what we – PTSD, which is what we call it now. So in some ways – Frank is right, but for the wrong reasons, and Trapper is wrong, but for sort of the right reasons, if that really makes any sense. It's like they're both trying to be sensitive to this, but they're kind of coming at it from two different two different ways. And again, this would be something that people are dealing with today is this notion of, okay, this, this, this soldier, Travis, uh, had this momentary pause on the battlefield where he froze, which of course is completely understandable, and now he's torturing himself. And the idea that if you treat him as if he is really wounded, then he will be paralyzed for the rest of his life. And so, again, even even though we never see him, Sidney Friedman dispenses great advice, as he always did. Uh, and he said, it have to subject Hawkeye to all of this. And, you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes where there seems to be a storyline that Trapper is kind of the main guy on. And then it gets shifted over to Hawkeye because the show just kept leaning on Hawkeye so heavily. And initially, you kind of feel like – this guy is Trapper's patient because Trapper's the one that sees him on the bus. And then somehow it's Hawkeye who takes over. But luckily they bring Trapper in at the end where he Hawkeye says, hey, look, this kid's never going to talk to me because he thinks I'm awful. Why don't you try it, Trapper? And I like that. And Trapper manages to get Travis to, to open up. And I think it's a great moment for Wayne Rogers to be able to kind of come in and, and sort of rescue this situation. Oh, yeah, I really like that, that Trapper stepping in. That really enjoyable and that – it really showed you how Trapper could kind of just sit down and listen, which is a mm-hmm. lot of times that is the, the forefront of MASH episodes is that a doctor, whoever it is, comes and sits down and listens. And uh, I just wanted to uh, – I was thinking about when I was watching this, one of my favorite characters is Father Mulcahy. And I'm like, if William Christopher had been in this episode, it would have been a very different episode. It would have been – I think it would have been a Father Mulcahy episode. Yeah, yeah, he's not in this at all. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't make any appearance in this episode no, at all. Ne- neither is Klinger. Right, right. Yeah, neither is Klinger. Yeah, they were still just doing a plot for the the, the main six characters and working Klinger and Mulcahy in where they could. Now you mentioned the scene with where after Radar does get the rabies shots and and uh, he's getting tended to by Margaret. And I do love that scene. And it's this whole thing of where Radar is getting a letter from home and it's sort of like this pen pal kind of thing that the that girls did for GIs during World War II, maybe even during World War One, But they were still doing it in the Korean War where they would sort of write these soldiers just because they realized that people, the guy, the men fighting overseas wanted to hear from home. And I love this girl who writes in to Radar because she talks about uh, that she, her, one of her favorite songs is by Bo Diddley. And this is 1951. I mean, not only did that song not exist in 1951, but even if they're close, that's pretty hip for a Midwestern farm girl in 1951 to be listening to Bo Diddley. I think Radar's, Radar's done pretty well. She seems pretty pretty smart, uh, pretty sharp. And I like that at that end of the scene where she writes about, do you like me? You know, check one or check, check yes or check no. And then Radar falls asleep. And we see that Margaret checks something for him, and she's clearly checking yes. And, it's again, it's a really sweet scene between the two actors because, as you mentioned, they didn't really get a lot of solo scenes together. Uh, and so it was nice to see Margaret, again, not be so like Frank and be nice to Radar. Um, did you notice the kind of the in-joke and that um, scene that wasn't treated as an in-joke but was? And that her first question is, uh, 
will you write back to me? Check yes or no. Right. So, like, right. If he can't write back to you. Yeah, if he writes no, writing? how's she going to know? Yeah. <laughs> that's like that's like the classic, can you hear me? Knock once for yes, knock two for no. And you're like, well, I'm not going to get two knocks then if you didn't hear me in the first place. So, yeah, that girl, she's very uh, she's very sort of unsure of herself of that Radar likes her. And, and we could tell Radar is maybe being a little deceptive, deceptive about who he is exactly because she i think uh she thinks he's a, he's a fighting soldier or he's not necessarily but anyway that is a very very sweet but we're jumping ahead a little because i do want to mention the sequence where henry and radar go to rosie's bar uh and uh try and find this dog this is the first time we meet rosie uh in this case she's played by the actress shizuko hoshi she would do a bunch of mashes, all playing different characters. She appeared in films like M. Butterfly and Memoirs of a Geisha. But this is the first time we, we see her. And uh, we also notice that there is a second bar located next to Rosie's called Goldie's. And for some reason, MASH never, ever explains that or visits it. Nobody ever goes to Goldie's. There's no mention of Goldie's. But you see it. There's a big sign. The, the building says First of all, in this episode, it said it says Rose Bar, not Rosie's Bar. But we see Rosie's, and then attached to it is this place called Goldie's, and we never find out what Goldie's is. And it stays that way through multiple seasons. You will see that sign in future episodes where it says Goldie's, but we never we never learn it. I don't know why that's there and why they never explored it, but they never do. We just we only ever hear about Rosie's. But before that, again, there's the scene where. Uh, where they, they are looking for the dog. And there's this really rough joke where uh, the older couple come by and Rosie talks to them and they start pointing and they're like, oh, it's the dog. And he says, oh, and it was delicious. And Radar, I love Gary Berghoff's reaction when he finds out that these older people have eaten the dog. He is, he's almost, he's almost falls, falls off his feet. He's so horrified, which is what my reaction uh, would be. And uh, Rosie says, well, it's a common dish among our older people. And they unfortunately get some, some gags out of it. Henry says it must have been a hell of a bun. And I, I will admit, even as a child, I never liked that joke. I didn't like them making light of it. I just was horrified by it. And, I, you know, this, the idea of eating a dog is so alien to anything that any of us are really familiar with it. I, I'm glad that Radar is horrified by it but the show also finds it a little funny and i just i'm always like ugh, and i just hate that i hate that joke entirely i just wish it was like oh i don't i don't want to hear about it but it nevertheless it is about how sweet radar is i mean the opening scene we see that he's got that zoo that he's constructed with the raccoons and the skunks and uh, henry brings up a turtle that says the this 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 turtle uh was uh, wandered into the shower and Henry brings it out, which I was amazed that that's, that's a lot of distance for a turtle to, to travel and to somehow make its way into the shower. And also um, he thinks that this turtle is having an affair with one of his corns. Yes. Yeah. He mentions, he mentions that. And it's like, it's a pretty big turtle. You see Henry just clop it down. And when you first see it, he, Henry's like carrying it like under his arm. And first you think, when you first see it, it's like, oh, that's just a prop turtle. But then Henry puts it on top of one of the crates, and you see the thing move around. You see its head and its hands. So it's like, no, that they just got a turtle from somewhere, and they had McLean Stevenson carry it. And I don't know about you, uh, I generally don't pick up turtles because they can snap you pretty hard. You have to. The only turtles I've ever really picked up are tiny ones. But if you ever try and pick up ones that you need to carry with both your hands, they can snap you. They can be pretty nasty. So it's kind of brave of Henry to do that. But I love all this because it's so sweet that Radar cares for these animals. He's and there's going to be an episode not too long, not too far into the season where he goes even further with his love for animals. But I love all this. I love that Radar 
runs the risk of this happening to him, of course. And I also love that when Hawkeye notices the bite and he says, what about this nasty scratch radar? And Ian radar just says, Oh, it's, I was playing around with this dog and it bit me. And then he notices Hawkeye's reaction and then Raider goes, but he didn't mean to, though. And I like that he's immediately trying to defend the dog from Hawkeye in case the dog gets trouble. It's, it's a very sweet moment for Radar. Yeah, I love that, that you know, Radar doesn't want to see people hurt, but he also doesn't want to see animals hurt. And yeah. he doesn't think that the, all the um, animals can survive without him. But I have to look, personally, I have to look away in those scenes because the crates that he has, has all those animals in are tiny. Yeah, they are. And yeah. my mom and my mom is big on, um, you know, if you have an animal, you need to have the space that the yeah. animal can live in. So that I, I, it's gotten to the point where I kind of have to, to like look away and or just tell myself that the animals don't really live in those spaces. They'll be taken out when, when they're done filming. Otherwise, oh, I'm sure. Yes. Ugh. Yeah, I'm sure of that. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully Radar lets them oh, like run go. around or something. You know, hopefully he lets them run around or something. <laughs> I mean, like, some of them are like raccoons and stuff, which I don't – raccoons are wild animals. Like you're not really – you're not really – I don't think you're really helping it by putting it in a little crate. I mean you can put out a little dish for it so it has food. Those those animals don't have a whole lot of room. I mean, we see that there are dogs sometimes on the camp uh, in the camp, and they were like the camp mutts and stuff like that. But they seem to be able to just run around wherever they want. So yeah, you have to kind of like, hopefully, uh, you know, all right, we're the, the the animals have more freedom than we're seeing at least in in this moment. I was gonna say um one of the well one of the things that um because I like to think if I see something on TV and then I look at it again later, I'll be like, well, how did that happen? So Radar gives dog tags to every one of his animals. <laughs> right. P, P for P for possum. Clear. But we know from later episodes that they have to fill fill out paperwork to Icor to get because Radar doesn't have a stamping machine to stamp <laughs> dog tags. Think about what he has to go through to be able to get uh, permission for new uh dog tags to be made so you probably think that all of his animals have like average american names and so when he says p for uh possum because you know that possum actually starts with an o no he had to put protestant in the paperwork <laughs> i never thought so about that gotta, but you're like, right yeah. yeah well it's just something i because i know um like that's the the insane because i also write mash fan fiction so oh, i focus wow. on these details because i'm like oh what yeah i well i have written something that it's from way after the war, and it pretty much involves Charles. Anyway. <laughs> okay. All right. um, anyway, so I, I think about, you know, what it, how he went through getting that. And then also just if he's taking care of all these animals and he's working in post-op and he's being the company clerk, does Radar sleep? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he does. We see him sleeping sometime, but, but yeah, he obviously keeps himself quite We see busy. him trying to sleep. We see him trying to sleep. He's always getting woken up. Yeah, I appreciate how much. I so. never thought about that. I never considered that, you know, he makes little dog tags for them, and it's like the amount of work that that takes to do all that. That's, uh, you know, makes me like Radar even more that he that he goes to all that effort for, for these little these little creatures. So uh, well, he, just, he just, oh, no, going back to the scene with uh, Rosie. Do you remember when we had the Olympics in uh, South Korea? We had uh U.S. Olympic skier Gus Kenworthy, and he made the news because he adopted a dog from a uh, Korean dog meat farm. 
I I don't and I so don't remember. No, I don't remember that. Ugh. Oh, it was a it was a big story because it. I remember that and uh he. He was on a big skier, and he he felt he was he. They visited this dog meat farm that uh he fell in love with this dog, and then he brought it home with him. And that really, and I remember at the time that was really sparked debate or discussion about how it was. You know, in this decade, there's still people that eat dog meat, and you have to and you have to think about like why? Well, it's because they're poor, and you know that's meat that they can eat. So when that mash talked about you know eating thing and it's such a it's an idea that no one is comfortable with like no americans are comfortable with but uh i found it strange so i found it strange at that time that you know the laugh track is a laugh track and they played the laugh track over some of those jokes and i was yeah. wondering would those joke it would those jokes have flied today in with a laugh track no no they because would not i don't think they would have I think that they might have put them in the episode. I just don't think that it would have been approached with the attitude that they have. No. But, you know, I didn't watch MASH when it was on, so I have no reference to what it was, like, what the collective consciousness of America was at the time. I only know what I come through now. But I kind of did like that, that it was even mentioned, because it is a thing. It's like, well, you have to remember, they're in a foreign country, so there's going to be... Just like they do things that the Koreans probably go, what the WTF? Like, mm-hmm. why? Why are you doing this? And then the same with uh, the Koreans do stuff that, and I'm not comfortable with it either. But it's something that I would think about because when when that skier did that, adopted that dog, it got me thinking about, okay, well, there's got to be a reason. Like, they don't just eat dogs because they want to. Like, there has to be a reason why they do. Right. The, the episode sort of winds up a little on the goofy side. Uh, with the big chase where they they find the dog and Henry and Trapper chase the dog and then they they chase it and they, they go mad dog and everybody's playing volleyball all the nurses playing volleyball scream and and everybody runs off the compound and then they go behind the mess tent and then they get chased by the dog and you can see the dog is clearly not angry in any way like you could just see the dog is there you know obviously there's a dog trainer just off camera probably you know waving a bone or something and the dog is just kind of just running and even uh mclean stevenson is able to kind of look like he's terrified but but uh but wayne rogers looks like he's just taking a light trot like he doesn't actually genuinely look scared by this dog because the dog's not scary the dog is just it's just running the way you would see a dog run in a in you know in a in a park or something it's not like it's a, a rabbit dog or a mad dog or a dog that's you know actually angry so it it goes back and it kind of becomes goofy again which helps you forget some of the kind of grimmer joke and then after that uh the, after they solve that and then we find out that radar doesn't have to get uh he doesn't have to get any shots we see Travis show up at the uh in, in Henry's office and uh Hawkeye gives him a big hug and he talks about you know Travis we're going to go to the mess tent and they're this time you're walking, and that's the end of the end. It ends with another final dump on Frank, where uh, you know he's like Margaret, I was wrong, and Margaret just kind of goes because eh, she's used to this. And then it's it's uh, Trapper says uh, you're always wrong, Frank. That's what's so right about you. And so that was <laughs> the end of the episode. So I mean, it has a nice kind of happy ending for both our characters, for both Travis and for Radar. And over the overall, it's a good episode. It's, it's certainly not one. It's certainly not my favorite. From season three, just because I think that the the A and B plots are so separate from one another, but overall, it's pretty funny. And again, I like the the hysterical paralysis 
storyline is interesting. Again, it's so so interesting that they brought it back in a later season, again, with the same actor. Uh, but overall, it's a pretty funny show. It's a solid season three episode. Um, overall, like, did you have a, a particular favorite line or joke from this episode? So I, I don't know if I have a favorite line because there's a lot that I could mention that I just stand out for me in my memory. So I do want to say that I, I looked up Veilness. Yeah. <laughs> right, a Google. word that Hawkeye the says is a first, word when they're playing Scrabble, yeah. I Just on the off chance it's a real word, it shows up on TV Tropes as Scrabble Babble, and it's talking about that word yeah. on Mesh. So It is not a word. Hawkeye's making I, it up. Mailness is not a word. See, well, I'm dyslexic, and so sometimes I hear words, and I, and I don't have the ability to, like, know, like, immediately if it's a real word or a fake word, so I get... Like the logic loop of I have to look it up to see if I'm if it's real. But uh oh, and there was one thing that stood out to me one line because you know this is this gets a I guarantee this is a retcon line or radar is just having an insane dream because when Henry tries to wake him up to tell him that the dog they found the dog. Radar says, I'm sorry about the car, Dad. I had to swerve to miss the lake. We know that he doesn't have a dad. But yeah, that's right. He does. Well, well, that's true. I mean, he said his dad died when he was two. So, yeah, he would not he would not have any memory of that. Of course, he said it is just, could be just a fever dream from the uh, the ravey shots. Oh, and also, I guess Radar's dad is in the same place with Hawkeye's sister. There, exactly, exactly. All these relatives. Oh, and and we, we've already come up this season that Radar has mentioned having a – a brother and a sister, uh, which he did not have as well. So yeah, none of those, none of the, they didn't keep track of, they didn't, uh, they needed to have like an Excel spreadsheet to keep track of all this. Margaret's defense of, um, Travis, you can see how much she cares because mm-hmm. you don't, it's kind of offhand thing. Cause we expect Margaret to be in defense of the patient, but you can see that she is really, she is really disgusted about what Hawkeye is doing. And uh, especially since, you know, they're having to change his bedsheets all the time. And uh, it's it really makes you like see that uh, Margaret's not a woman that's going to shut up because the doctor, who's a man, no, won't not. want her to. She, she's the kind. And I like that because, you know, that the early 70s. And so we know that there's a lot of TV shows on the time where a female character wouldn't just would just like mind her own business and not call out. Uh, doctor. Yeah, she really gives Hawkeye a lot of a lot so. of grief about all this, and he has a bunch of great lines where she says she talks about how you know we have to change the sheets around the clock, and he's like, "Well, you have my permission to move the clock and all stuff like that." Uh, my my favorite line actually is from Trapper is when they're hanging out in Henry's office, and Frank comes in. He's in the outside, and he, Henry denies being there. And Frank's like, "I can hear you inside, Colonel." And Trapper just says, "Very good, Frank. Now you, can you guess what he's wearing?" I just love that really dismissive kind of thing of like, "Frank, just go away." It's just uh, I I I love the way uh, Wayne Rogers reads it. It's just very very funny to me. But uh, there are a bunch of good lines in this episode. And like I said, overall, it's it's a pretty good pretty good show. Mad Dogs and and Servicemen. Like I said, it's overall, it's a it's a really solid show. There are a bunch of good lines and, and a bunch of good issues, and there's some silly. Uh, slapstick going on, which is always fun as well. And then there's some insight into radar, which is, is always nice as well. So, so Michelle, thank you so much for stopping by and, and guesting here on the show. It was great hearing. Uh, I always love hearing from people that are significantly younger than me and how they discovered the show. And I'm glad to know that the show is still meaningful to people of multiple generations. So thank you so much for stopping by. You're welcome. And uh, I just want to say that uh, 
there I do have people I know now that are my age that maybe they don't go out of the way to watch MASH, but it is something that they know and they understand and they know it. So it's still living on and then not just on the 24-hour TV. That's all I said. That's always good to know. So uh, where can people find you on the Internet? I, you can find me on Twitter, M- Michelle H. Wrights, capital Michelle, capital H capital w rights all right excellent said so you can find michelle over on twitter and of course we're over on twitter at mash 477 cast you can find all the back episodes of the show on the website firewaterpodcast.com you can subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify and stitcher and of course if you want to support the fire and water podcast network you can go to patreon.com slash fw podcast and there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice so big thanks to adam sanders nicholas prom Russell Burbage, Stan Peel, and Suzanne Holland for their support of MASHCast. Really do appreciate it. So that is going to do it for this episode. So until next week, that is all. Whatever it is, just write it down and put it on my desk where I can't find it.